Welcome to the latest episode of Steelcast, Tata Steel UK's podcast about all things related to steel. Our processes, our products, our customers, our people and our communities. My name is Tim Rutter and in this latest series I'm talking to industry experts about climate change, sustainability and decarbonisation. Now we've already heard from a number of Tata Steel experts and some from outside the industry about the fundamentals of climate change, the current challenges around carbon, the demands of society, both for steel and for zero carbon ways of making it. We've heard about the needs of our customers, as well as some of the technology options that are open to the steel industry and the infrastructure that might be needed to go with them. And not only the physical infrastructure, but the web of organisations that importantly includes the research and academic fraternity we heard about a couple of weeks ago in helping to solve some of the major issues of our time. And the necessity of collaboration between the different parties involved. Then last week, Gareth Stace joined us from UK Steel to talk us through the political challenges for governments and industries and the conflicting demands that make such major changes so complex. R&D Director Sumitesh Das talked in a previous episode about the need for connecting, collaborating and commercialising. And so I'm really thrilled today to be joined by someone that must have that mantra at the very heart of his daily activities. Dr Chris Williams is Head of Industrial Decarbonisation for Industry Wales and leads the South Wales Industrial Cluster. Chris, a very warm welcome to the pod today. Thank you very much, Tim. Glad to be here. Looking forward to it. Great to have you. Lots and lots to talk about and uh, with all your experience in the cluster so far. But uh, before we get into details of that project that you're involved in and why it could be so important to the future of the UK steel industry, uh, I guess it's only fair to share with our listeners a bit about you, yourself and your background, because whilst you know I've introduced you as working for Industry Wales, you're no stranger to the steel industry, are you? No, thanks, Tim. Um, 30 years service in the steel industry. I'm still an employee of Tata Steel UK, uh, but I'm seconded to Industry Wales. And I'll explain a little bit why later. Um, it's probably for obvious reasons, but a regional cluster should be led by not one individual company. It should be led by a central grouping. And, and that's really why I was seconded out of uh, Tata Steel UK. Yeah, yeah. And that's a fundamental principle of it. And I'm sure we yeah. will get into that. And before we go on to the establishment of the of the one you're involved in, the South Wales Industrial Cluster, which, of course, has our Portalba Steelworks in its heart, but other Tata Steel uh, sites along the corridor as well. Can you give us a brief background to this approach, this clustering approach to industrial decarbonisation? How did that come about and, and why is it so important, as you say? Yeah, I'll, I'll take you back um, before I was seconded to Industry Wales um, as a Tata Steel employee. We started to work with um, UK government, and I say we, I mean Port Talbot and Group uh, Health, Safety and Environment, so Pete Quinn's team, who you talked to yeah. earlier in the series. Um, and we talked to UK government about decarbonisation. Of course, nobody's really talking about net zero back in sort of 2015, 16, 17, but it was about how can our big industries decarbonize how can we support the decarbonization journey that the uk and europe uh, was on so uk gov was the department of energy and climate change at the time um, trying to understand the challenges that each sector had in decarbonizing it was focusing primarily on energy efficiency um, and circular economy and benefits in this, I suppose now we would call them shorter, medium-term um, opportunities, but at, at the time that was the the challenge. And to be fair to UK Gov at the time, I remember Claire Perry, uh, Minister for Climate Change, I think she was at the time, standing up in front in rooms in London, saying, "What do we need to do to make the UK lead the world in net zero manufacturing? So steel, cement, chemicals, plastics, etc." And there were regular meetings in London, about seventy people there from all over the UK talking through and discussing what the UK could do as a group um, to real, really pull together a strategy. And that's where the, the clean growth strategy came from. And what came through was when you look at each individual sector or each individual industry, even a biscuit factory, um, it has different options for how it can decarbonize. So we broken those down really into what we call five steps. The first step is working on en energy and resource efficiency. The second step is looking at fuel switching. So you maybe want to fuel switch away from natural gas. Mm. 
to hydrogen or maybe electricity or maybe a biofuel of some kind. The third step then is what can you do in terms of industrial symbiosis? So that means sharing. So what can you share as different industries if you're within a different area? The fourth one there is carbon capture utilization. An example of that is the your podcast you did last week with the uh, University of South Wales at the Tata Demonstrator, carbon capture utilization. And the fifth step then is carbon capture and storage. Um, so that's taking CO2 that you're emitting, capturing it and burying it back from where it came from. Mm. So the carbon cycle, if you like, for carbon capture and storage would be you're taking natural gas out of the ground that contains the carbon. You're combusting it, you're burning it. That emits CO2 out the chimney. You collect that. You put it in a pipe or a ship, in our case, which we'll come to yeah. later. And then, and then you put it back underground. So those five steps are what we call uh, our five steps to decarbonisation or five steps to net zero. But it's quite and, an interesting approach in that col- the, the, the word collaboration keeps coming up. Yeah. The part you would think, you know, it, it would have been quite easy to go down the route of saying, well, there's a steel industry. You, you guys know your problems. And there's a plastic industry. You go and look at your problems. But actually, they've taken a sort of a geographic approach and said many of these issues are common across industries and not just big industries smaller industries as well and that's that's quite an interesting turnaround of dynamic isn't it yeah and that's really what came through out of those discussions when you look at those five steps for different sectors and then you look at where those sectors are so steel cement chemicals typically they tend to be in what would be called there are industrial areas of the UK so South Wales Humberside Teesside the northwest and part of Scotland as well and maybe Solent area a little bit and then what have those areas got in common they've all got industries that are, are close to each other and not far away from each other um, and when you look at those five steps even though as I said each industry has five steps to make it efficient for a region you really need to focus on common infrastructure to enable those industries to decarbonize so if you want to be a region that can host net zero manufacturing in the future you need to be a region that has hydrogen it has low carbon power it has ccu and it has potentially ccs capabilities as well and if you're a region that does not have those offerings then you're at real risk that you will lose your industry to regions that do so as developing regions that need to maintain and develop and maintain that those uh, that infrastructure capability we needed to collaborate within each area so they we call those industrial clusters so those industrial regions then became right they need to be not just regions they need to be clusters they mm. need to have shared infrastructure that enables those industries to decarbonize because once you've got that infrastructure there as well not only are you supporting existing industries but you're attracting new industries of the future because they can come to that area they know wow that's an exciting place to be it's got renewable power it's got hydrogen it's got some ccu capability and it's got some ccs opportunities Mm. as well is it important that every region has every capability do you think or is that sort of saying no listen we need to investigate you know all of these capabilities as we start off and then different regions may go down different paths because i know you know and again we might come on to it different parts of the uk have different uh, capabilities of storing carbon for example and you know i'm going to come on to the develop the development of the south wales industrial cluster at the moment but you know is it a case of having you've got to have all five or it doesn't work um, no, it, it will depend on what re, what industries you've got in the area uh, and what also what industries maybe you want to attract to mm. the area as well. So, yeah, it, it regionally varies from uh, industrial region to industrial region. There's an there's industrial cluster in the black country as well, and that's developing its, its own strategy. Um, it was a bit of an oddball to come into the, the mix of UK Gov's original plans and strategy and what they were doing, but actually... I think the the bigger industrial clusters are learning off it as well because it contains um, less heavy, I suppose, is the way of defining it, industry. Um, And so our areas that have heavy industry have less heavy industry as well. So Mm -hmm. we can learn off each other. All all the clusters work quite closely together. Um, We have what we call multi-cluster meetings. So there's a collaboration of collaborations. Right. uh, (laughs) Because we're all going through this journey of learning what does collaboration 
mean? What infrastructure do we need? What technologies can we apply and adopt? Um, mm. And how do we share best practice between us? Yeah, but I'm I'm also interested, Chris, about um, I think the South Wales Industrial Cluster wasn't one of the first to be set up. No. And of course, you've got this dynamic when we talk about collaboration. It's not just between industries. We talked about with academia and government. Yep. And in Wales, of course, we have the devolved government. What was it that prompted the Welsh government to to get on board and set up uh, Industry Wales with, with you in place and the South Wales Industrial Cluster? OK, so Industry Wales has been in place for, I think, about 10 years. Um, it's an arm's length body of Welsh government and Industry Wales um, up until now has been the home for some trade associations. Welsh Automotive Forum, Technology Connect, um, Aerospace Wales. Uh, it typically looked after those sectors and it looked after some skills and um supply chain development for those sectors. Um, bigger industry weren't typically engaged with Industry Wales um, up until um, we as industry came together, learning off the other clusters that were developing in England and Scotland. And then we were working with Welsh government to say what model fits in the Welsh political system. Yeah. Um, in England, the local enterprise partnerships were so collection of councils were typically leading the development of the clusters in terms mm. of the cluster plan in wales we don't have those um so we it was a bit of a mismatch of, of, of ways of working so we worked with welsh government and that's where industry wales came through okay if we created a collaborative grouping underneath end industry wales it gives us the the mechanism we need to create that formal collaboration mm. uh, and, and in some ways hopefully it'll work out uh, advantageous over what the English have been able to do with the local enterprise partnerships and Scotland use Scottish enterprise. Mm. But it's, it occurs to me, Chris, that when so I've been thinking about South Wales particularly because it's the one you're involved in, but it occurs to me uh, that lots of the work you're doing must be a bit like which comes first, the chicken or the egg, because, you know, you're working on some theories about infrastructures and energy solutions and renewable energy and uh, uh, greenhouse gas capture and storage without knowing what the preferred solution of many of the industries are that will need to be a part of it. It's you know, clear that, you know, if, if if half a dozen big industries are all thinking about going down a hydrogen route, then someone needs to think in advance, hopefully, about creating a hydrogen system. But without knowing that in advance, it's quite difficult, isn't it, to say we're going to do A or we're going to do B or we're going to do C. So are you coming up with kind of a list of an options or menu of, of cluster work and and, and um, infrastructure projects? Yes, it, 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 yes and yes. Um, <laughs> it, it is difficult. Um, we're all waiting, I think, primarily for UK government to define its policy around the support mechanisms that are going to come through for hydrogen and for carbon capture and storage. Um, and those what they call business models, subsidy mechanisms, um, will really start to define the solutions that some of our industries choose in the way that they're going to make things in a net zero way. I think e each region, when you look at the, the different clusters, it's typically the energy sector that is typically going first in understanding how it's going to decarbonize because UK Gov has said, you know, zero emission electrical generation from 2035. Um, so renewables are obviously chasing in terms of trying to get in as much renewables built as possible. Um, but also behind that, then you've got a fossil fuel generation that is trying to understand how it can uh, achieve net zero. And we've got that um, in Milford Haven in South Wales with Pembroke Power Station, which is the UK's largest combined cycle gas turbine, UK's most efficient, um, two gigawatts. Mm. So how do we um, develop a way to make sure that can be net zero by 2035 and therefore supply us with electricity we need when it's not sunny and it's not windy Yeah. Um, to enable renewable capability to grow and grow and grow and eventually potentially displace it depending on uh, how things work out when it's not windy and it's not sunny. Yeah. Storage. <laughs> there are so many dynamics, aren't there? And for there those are. listeners who may not know 
the landscape of South Wales. Can you kind of give a picture of the sort of organisations that are involved in the industrial cluster? Because I'm guessing, you know, it's not just the power generators and the steel industry. There must be smaller industries involved as well, are there, Chris? Yeah, the, the, the South Wales industrial cluster spans from Milford Haven through to Newport. It covers steel, cement, chemicals, nickel refining, oil refining, power generation, gas power generation, but also, you know, significant number of uh, renewable power generators as well. Mm. It includes hydrogen developers, um, some food processing as well, and, and more people are getting more engaged as people are trying to understand their options. And, of course, paper. We've got three, yeah, uh, two paper mills, really, two paper mills. So, yeah, it, it's a whole spread, and, and each manufacturing facility is is understanding its option is understanding what the region is doing around it mm. uh, it's watching what policies are developing in london and welsh government mm. um, and doing some studies themselves in understanding which option is probably most likely for them and i'm sure people in wales will be listening to this and saying well does that include things like you know, the potential barrages at Swansea and Cardiff, you know, why does it not extend, you know, across the, the seven to, to Hinkley Point, which must have a role to play in future energy supplies? Is it reaching out as far as it needs to yet, Chris? I think that, that's where SWIC sort of starts to overlap um, with other areas and other programmes. So SWIC isn't trying to get the whole of South Wales to net zero. Um, that's where Welsh Government's um, Net Zero Wales programme comes in and SWIC fits into that. So it, it, it aligns with other programmes. SWIC really is primarily focused on manufacturing industry, uh, but obviously it's uh, it's engaged with and works closely uh, and um, power generation becomes part of it. But that also power generation fits into that much bigger picture as well. In, yeah. in terms of um, are we liaising with um, southwest of England? Then yes, we are. Mm. Um, that's starting to develop into its own uh, maybe cluster. Right. Um, and we, we're starting to understand, particularly Avonmouth and the industries around Avonmouth, because uh, yeah. that's so close to us. Yeah. In terms of power supply, then that would be part of a sort of, you know, Welsh national energy strategy that would we would fit into and hopefully align with. And that, that would include, because people get quite excited these days about you know, offshore wind yeah, turbines, yeah, yeah. the barrages, yep. you know, the, the, the manufacturing of those turbines potentially, as you talked about future yep. industries, not just current industries. So that's all within scope, is it? Yes. It, it, um, Celtic Sea isn't so much. So that's the floating offshore wind opportunity, the huge opportunity that um, South Wales, Southwest England and Ireland have got. Um, in terms of developing that uh, that floating offshore wind potential, there's something like 20, 30, 40 gigawatts. There's a huge amount of capability there electrically. That's not part of SWIC, but obviously we interact with that program closely. Um, a, in terms of we're interested in understanding how much electricity is going to come from it, how much of that we can convert to hydrogen, for example, but also in terms of understanding its supply chain capabilities and what inward investment we can bring in manufacturing capability to help make and build the Celtic Sea, as people will have seen in the ABP yeah. video. Yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, like you say, it must have huge potential, mustn't it, in uh, in terms of that whole energy production cycle. Uh, and But good to hear the sort of scope of the industrial cluster as you've described it. But if we could move that discussion on to say, OK, we understand how these industrial clusters are set up. Uh, with the support of government and the collaborative approach they're taking and who's involved in the South Wales one particularly. But I said to you, Chris, what's the what's the outcome? What's the desired outcome of the South Wales industrial cluster? What's the what's the story you'd tell about that? Yeah, I think the outcome is a net zero manufacturing region that has grown its manufacturing capability is is the the aim we had our very first meeting in january 2019 in the academy um, in tata in that meeting we defined that uh, 
We wanted to develop a world-leading, truly sustainable cluster befitting the societal needs of 20, 30, 40 and 50, which is a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> but but we, we kept net zero away from it and we kept circular economy away from it only because by putting in societal needs, we thought, OK, we kind of cover um, changes in what society will need because no doubt as we go towards 30, 40, society will need more and more. Mm. Um, or we will need it to be uh, uh, manufacturing to improve and change. So that that's why that heading is is, is as it is. Um, on Monday at the event we just had, Vaughan Gethin, the Economy Minister for Welsh Government, announced the formation of Net Zero Industry Wales, which is the formal entity now that our collaboration to the South Wales Industrial Cluster will be able to become part of. Mm. Um, so that means we then have a grouping that industries are willing to pay a subscription to be part of, because our industries have all said that our industries want to be able to chip into a central pot um, that can be used for regional studies, regional promotional activities, lobbying in London for the region, um, skills, technology, STEM, the mm. whole list of topics that um, our industries, when we got our industries together, said, if we work together, wouldn't it be exciting if we could do this together, do that together, rather than doing it in each thing individually, all of a sudden the the, the benefit of being in a group yeah. becomes much, much larger. I think you, you know, Tim, I know we're, we're in Tudor Steel UK, Port Albert, which is quite a big operation in comparison to our other industries. Mm. And we have um, capabilities, interactions and collaborations that smaller industries don't have because they simply don't have um, the staff or the, the time mm. to, to be able to make that happen. Um, so there are things that um, our neighbours can benefit from by working with us. Uh, and vice versa, because they tend to be smaller, they can be more nimble, they can make changes more quickly. Mm. So we, we can we can learn off each other. So there are much wider benefits to clustering than just the technical option or the technical capability of supplying the infrastructure. Also, technically, we're finding that um, now engineers are, uh, are meeting each other from different manufacturing sites. And it might be, let's say, in Barry and Clidach. Um, they've installed, let's say, similar compressors or variable speed drives um, before they didn't have anybody independent to speak to. Now yeah. they can ring. Now they know they're connected. They can ring each other. I've always got this problem with this bit of kit. Mm. Oh, we used to have that. We did this. Mm. Um, so there's all sorts of side spin off discussions going off. Yeah. Also, also um, UK Gov in particular understands the challenge that industry faces in getting to net zero. It understands there's sort of like a market failure in that the product demand isn't out there for net zero products. So why would anybody invest in decarbonization as such if nobody and it's going to your product's going to cost more if nobody's going to pay more for it? So that's where the business models come in. But also some of the the funding mechanisms. So industrial energy transformation fund, which is a fund that um, supports uh, energy efficiency projects. Mm. It might in uh, resource efficiency projects. And what we're finding is our industries, by being in a cluster, somebody might apply for some funding, win some funding, and then someone else, they'll share what they did and how they did it with another industry locally through our discussions. And they'll they'll learn how to apply for money and win money as well. Yeah. And Welsh Government are good in supporting that as well. They've got, they've got money, sorry, they've got people and a little bit of money that sometimes yeah. is just a little bit to help a consultant to do a little bit of a front-end study. Um, so turning innovation opportunity into written and funded bid by working together as a group, we're all learning so much off each other. Yeah, it's sorry, quite difficult. I went, sorry, Tim, I it's, went on a bit then, didn't I? That's, that's fine. It's all interesting stuff. But it's quite difficult to define the South Wales Industrial Cluster. You know, would you describe it as um, a body that advises industry or would you describe it as something that facilitates sharing a learning bit by industry? Or is it a face between industry and governments? Or is it all all or none of those? But mainly it's facilitating discussion and collaboration between. Yeah. But it but it does tend then to be 
the face of sometimes as well. So I th- I think UK Gov as well as you spoke you spoke to Gareth in UK Steel. If they want to talk in, in regionally, they'll now tend to talk to the clusters as well. So we're trying to understand how we configure ourselves, which again is why it's important to have a formal entity in place. Yeah, uh, be with some rules and governance around that. Yeah, it'd be interesting now. You said they've launched the Net Zero Industry Wales, a sort of a, a sort of an umbrella organisation, maybe because in Wales, I guess you know, some would describe it as being very fortunate that we've got a lot of organisations seem to be springing up, um, similar to the South Wales Industrial Cluster. So, you know, off the top of your head, you've got uh, specific, you've got sustain, you've got rice. You know, are, are all of those then going to come together within Net Industry, Net Zero Industry Wales, or how's that going to all come together? Because yeah, they've I, got I, slightly different roles, but they're all in the same space, aren't they? Yeah, yes and no. Um, Net Zero Industry Wales, or SWIC, if we can call it SWIC, um, will be a collaboration of industry, academia, and local government. So the councils typically, and maybe the the regional, so Cardiff Capital Region and Swansea Bay. As well, it's it's a collaboration of, of those three main groupings. When you talk about specific sustain, they're they're research projects typically, so it, they're independent projects with their own partners, their own governance structure. Mm. But of course, they will all feed into and and liaise with industry either individually or or a SWIC a grouping. I mean, what we're working with Dave Worsley on. Um, and the other university, so Cardiff, Swansea, University of South Wales, is a, a sort of all-encompassing maybe university project that will surround itself and support SWIC as it goes further forward. A really close interaction. Again, learning off how Tata Steel works with Swansea University with the doctorate training programmes, etc., but other the, the other training packages that are provided. How do we open that and widen that around all the industries in South Wales, not only therefore benefiting Tata, but also benefiting all the other industries yeah. as well and the universities, both in terms of skills development, but also in terms of um, technical R&D. So SWIC would uh, act as the collaborative grouping of industry, academia and government that would then work with the universities in particular um, on developing that need and, and, and in, into a deliverable product yes understood that okay thanks uh, for explaining it now uh, part of the reason for these podcasts is to help people understand the issues around decarbonization but also some of the terminology and a couple of times uh, you mentioned the circular economy now some people might have heard that a lot but not really understand what it means could you give a simple explanation of what the circular economy means i'll do my best um, <laughs> at, at the moment a lot of what we um buy and use um, is, uh, I suppose, aligns with what we would call the linear economy, where you buy something, you use it, you put it in the bin. Mm. Uh, the circular economy, of course, which is steel, is uh, is a key part of um, because it can be recycled back to its maybe initial form um, or maybe downcycled slightly. But uh, that that's more of the circular economy where where we can buy a product, use a product, and then it can be recycled or reused into another product or back into its original product yeah Yeah. and it was fascinating i don't know if you saw in the news last week about the royal mint or collecting in old mobile phones to to gather in the gold yeah that was in some part of the phone that was printed circuit board or something and and reusing that so um i mean it's something that everyone would surely get on board with and uh, and in many ways you know for those of us who remember yeah, washing out our old milk bottles that was a circular economy of its of its type wasn't it yeah but the yeah, steel industry has always been like that and if you think your milk used to be delivered by electric truck as well <laughs> that's right it did yeah. it did yeah so we're coming back There's, yeah uh, nothing but, new in the world is there but but circular economy um is an opportunity that as swick so as industrial regions we, we've got to explore um between us we 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 ran a project for a year called uh, South Wales with both eyes open. Um, there were a number of industries in it and academics. And the idea was to map out the material flows of our different industries uh, and look for opportunities in the waste or so byproducts. Yeah. Um, so 
what what could we do to to share more of our byproducts between us? Uh, a lot of us already do a lot of sharing when when you actually sit down and look at the relationships that already exist between some of the industries in South Wales. But it started to identify uh, some opportunities by mapping it. Um, it was only a year project. Unfortunately, it was over the sort of the worst part of COVID, so we did, we didn't get anywhere near into what we wanted to do. But again, it was good for collaboration. Uh, and for me, you know, trying to manage the collaboration, it, it was um, valuable for us because it pulled in some extra partners and it did identify some opportunities for universities uh, to try to explore for us. Yeah. And it's a really important point, isn't it? So when we talk about you know, things being recycled, we're not necessarily talking about them having to be recycled back into the same thing. No. And I think, you know, yeah. I don't know if you've seen the projects that we uh We've been talking about recently with the um, University of South Wales and Dr. Rhiannon Chalmers Brown yep. has done this yep. project to capture waste gases and turn it into acetic acid or volatile fatty acids. And then you say, well, there's an opportunity for another industry, preferably geographically close, to to set up and use potentially those products. It's yep. really down that that thread, yep. isn't yep. it, Chris? Yeah, we yeah we have we've we've got a few. Um, that's what we call carbon capture utilisation. So that's for, step four. Yeah. Yeah. So that's turning, capturing CO2 and turning it into valuable feedstocks. As you yeah. mentioned, we've got um, Rhiannon's project that Gareth Lloyd's um, closely been supporting and, uh, you know, hats off to Gareth to put a lot of effort into to actually making that kit happen. We've got the Valley Nickel Refinery in Clidach has got um, an algae farm that's being developed out of the same project that is um, turning CO2 into chemical feedstock as well mm. um, we're working with a commercial company as well that also um, gives an offering in terms of algae and co2 to products so that's that'll be and, interesting and for our listeners because i'm not sure we touched on this before but the idea is that algae as a plant use co2 as their as their input their food and they then the output of that is a oxygen because it's a plant photosynthesizing but b you've got some carbon material which could be used as a biofuel is that roughly how it works uh, not necessarily a biofuel uh, for a chemical feedstock for um, chemical sector. Um, so if if I go on then to another company we're working with, which is Lanzatech, which uses bacteria, um, they are building a plant next to Port Talbot by the docks. Um, they have a technology that turns CO2 into ethanol, and then they turn ethanol into sustainable aviation fuel so a fuel yeah. but they also turn it into other chemical feedstocks as well so they're working now with unilever um, on the supply chain for chemicals that you would use in your house domestic cleaning products okay. um, are now starting to be made through the Landtech route mm. and also zara the fashion company have now had dresses made from Landtech. Wow from CO2. Oh, wow. I so, guess one of the questions that listeners may ask, and I don't know if you know the answer to this, but when you when you say about you create ethanol for fuel for aircraft, you say, well, when you burn ethanol, what, what, what comes out of the end of it? Because carbon doesn't go away, does it? You know, it's got no, to go somewhere. No, yeah, yeah. It, it starts off, if you've got a factory, it emits CO2, let's say 1 million tonne, just to keep the numbers right. Uh, and you've got an aeroplane that's emitting 1 million tonne. So if you if you take your 1 million tonnes that you've emitted from your factory, you turn that into aviation fuel, mm. you're still emitting the 1 million tonne from the aeroplane, yeah. but you're not emitting the 1 million tonne from your factory. Yeah. Yeah, so you've good. halved your, your net CO2 emission. So it's not net zero, it's just half. I think it's yeah. one of those technologies that you would call transitional mm -hmm. technologies that helps you down a route and it helps yeah. develop a technology that then opens up a whole new opportunity in the new net zero world. Yeah, yeah, and and without necessarily diving into the rabbit hole that might be the hydrogen economy, it would be interesting to pick this up because I'm sure it's a key part of the South Wales industrial cluster work. Because people say, well, you know, the benefits of hydrogen is when you, you when you when you use it or burn it, the the byproduct is water, which is fantastic seemingly. But of course, you've got to create the hydrogen in the first place, and that's where the the rub, isn't it, uh, Chris? Tell us about yeah. the, briefly about the different sorts of hydrogen and and the challenges that presents, especially in the work you've been doing in the cluster. 
Yeah, hydrogen is is a tricky one. You, as you say, you start with the context or the concept of um, we'll convert your natural gas to hydrogen, and you, and you work on understanding how you're going to do that for your your own factory or your own manufacturing, your biscuit factory, for example. And then you start to get into the where am I going to get my hydrogen from? And you think right, I want it to be green hydrogen because I want it to come from electrolysis. Um, so that's when then, you you pass electricity across water and you split the hydrogen from the oxygen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then you start to understand, oh, actually, when you look at the UK grid, you know, 40% of it is still from fossil fuel. When's that going to be 100%? Um, that's going to be decades away, potentially. And when you look at the additional electrical demand, um, green hydrogen, completely green hydrogen starts to become um, more of a challenge. But of course, you can do power purchase agreements with individual renewable mm. projects. Uh, but as a bulk, as, a, as an overall subject you start to realize um, that you need to have hydrogen made in other ways as well to in order for you to have time to convert your furnace to being hydrogen ready mm. and wh when you look when we're back in london and going back to understanding how are we going to decarbonize industry back in 15 16 17 that question was asked and then people were flown in from around the world in terms of understanding uk strategy for renewables and when are we going to have enough renewables to create enough green hydrogen? And that's really where it was recognised that it's probably going to take decades for our industries in Wales, in the UK, in Europe, in the world to transition from natural gas to hydrogen. You know, mm -hmm. there aren't enough furnace suppliers, furnace designers um, to be able to do it in five, 10 years time. Mm -hmm. So you need to start making hydrogen, mass hydrogen available in the early 2030s or as soon as you can in order to give industries time to transition over um, so that's when the concept of blue hydrogen came mm. from instead of continuing to combust natural gas until green hydrogen is available let's introduce blue hydrogen so that your industries can start to transition and at the same time, push your development of green hydrogen through as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. um, so blue hydrogen is almost like a it's a transitional technology. It's a gap filler mm. to enable your industries to transition to hydrogen before your hydrogen is before your green hydrogen yeah. is available. Yeah. And this transition is really, really important, isn't it? And I think earlier in the podcast, there was an article. Um, I can't remember the guy who wrote it now talking about the need for steel needs to go up yeah. before yeah. it will come down because uh or, or use of carbon sorry for the, for the for industry use of carbon in industry will need to go up before it comes down because you need to make you know yeah, you need to make wind turbines yeah. and all the kit and all that sort of stuff and i guess you know this isn't going to happen overnight now to so the hydrogen one i know we could go on forever about hydrogen probably um but another thing that interests me is is your view on you know currently is a big move towards electric vehicles in the automotive industry 20 years ago there was a real debate about whether the answer was going to be electric vehicles or hydrogen powered vehicles you know when you talk there about hydrogen technology for for industry do you think it is likely to overtake battery powered vehicles in the future i wouldn't like to put my money on either actually at the moment <laughs> okay <laughs> um we'll all be I, cycling I I, I yeah i think i think probably cars probably the way i see things will probably be electric but then is maybe HGVs will be hydrogen and maybe you know, big vehicles we've got around the works with maybe hydrogen as well. Because mm -hmm. arguably you've got the infrastructure of petrol stations, which could be filled with hydrogen rather than petrol, couldn't you already? Yes, so, yes, yes. Uh, but like you say, it's the difficulty yeah. of manufacturing the hydrogen in the first yeah. place. Let's not, but, let's well, not dwell too yeah, much. I, but uh, I, I went to a hydrogen roadshow in probably around about 2008 in Cardiff Bay. And the principle there was, you know, you, your petrol station will be um, replaced by a wind turbine and an electrolyzer. Uh, oh, okay. You know, you'll you'll be able to see where your petrol, where your refueling station is, because you'll see the wind turbine was kind oh. of the concept that was being portrayed. I suppose you could say the same with electric vehicles. But battery range now is 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 so much longer now, isn't it, than uh, than it used to be five six years ago. The technology yeah. is just uh, rapidly accelerating. But that maybe there will be a need for uh, long distance drivers to have hydrogen vehicles yeah, and yeah. shorter distance to have 
Yeah, well, we must get someone on the pod who can talk to us about yeah. that. Uh, if yeah, anyone's not, listening to the pod area. at the moment, who who <laughs> knows anyone can talk to us about the debate between electric vehicles and hydrogen power vehicles. We'd love to welcome you on the pod. But listen, but I'm going to go back. I, 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 no, I was just, yeah, I was just going to say that was one of the. Uh, if you look at the clean growth strategy, and then you look at the the ten point plan from UK government. So this was Boris Johnson saying, "Here's our ten point plan for a, a greener recovery." If you look at point eight of that, it talks about the industrial clusters and it calls them uh, potential super places mm-hmm. uh, because we've got industry in those areas that we need to provide the infrastructure for, for them to decarbonize as quickly as they can and, and they want to. So the infrastructure is there for them to decarbonize. Then that they provide the anchor projects for society around them. So the industrial regions are likely to be the regions that have hydrogen available to society in general. So it could be that if you live in an industrial area, you've got easy access to hydrogen, where if you don't live in industrial area, you won't have so much easy access to hydrogen. And that might mean for your housing, your heating in your housing um, or or for your your vehicle. We'll see how that develops. There's so many different dynamics on there. And and I'm conscious we've, you know, running out of time almost, but there's a couple other topics I wanted to talk to you about, uh, Chris, especially around the South Wales Industrial Cluster, because you mentioned earlier about carbon capture and storage. Now, that the idea of storage, if you could explain to our listeners where you store it, and there's some of the difficulties that South Wales has because of the geology of the area. Yeah, and it, it's not just South Wales, it's the whole south of the UK um, does not have any oil and gas wells around it or of of any size i should say no known source yeah. because there are some um geologists that think that maybe there might be that they just haven't been found yet but the concept um, so, is chris is that the, you're going to find empty gas fields and you're going to fill it with the, with, with the carbon yeah, dioxide. so in, in the north of the uk in um off the northwest the northeast and off scotland where our you know traditional gas fields are at the moment and oil fields um, some of them have come to empty end of life. They're empty. So you can simply put the CO2 back from where it came from, effectively. Yeah. So those industrial clusters are able to pipe their CO2 to those stores. So if you're in the north of the UK, you can say that they're developing a competitive advantage now over industries in the south of the UK, because they are likely to be the ones that are going to be able to make things in a net zero way first. So those of us in the south of the UK, we're going to have to explore shipping of CO2 from the south to the north, simply because the because the pipe runs are so long, it becomes as economic to ship it as it does to to pipe it. Yeah. And now again, that, some that, of our listeners will be thinking, how do you put gas on a ship? You know, it seems a, it seems an extraordinary thing to do. But but of course, that happens already commonly, doesn't it? Yeah, we're already importing natural gas by ship into Milford Haven. I think 20-30% of UK natural gas comes in through Milford Haven. But it comes in a compressed form or a liquid yeah, form. Yeah, yeah. and all, all of that we're designing as we speak in terms of in Milford Haven, turning our natural gas um, into hydrogen, collecting the CO2, compressing it and putting on a ship is being designed as we speak. And we will be um, hopefully putting a bid in um, this year um, that will enable us to have ships leaving Milford Haven in 2028 mm. um, that will get that new industry up and running. But many people, I understand it, will say, look, that's that's surely a stopgap measure. The answer is not to to bury our waste gas as much as we may have uh, talked about in the old days of throwing nuclear waste into space. The answer is not to make it in the first place, isn't it? Which brings us yep. nicely yep. onto the renewables challenge. And I know we touched on it earlier and the potential of this uh, offshore wind farm and I guess solar is part of the equation as well. But there's still issues around that, aren't there, Chris, in terms of storage particularly? Yep. So when we are exploring um, offshore wind, in particular like floating offshore wind, onshore wind, you know, typically they'll generate electricity for 35 to 46-7% of the time, so less than half. Um, so there's still half the time that we we need to uh, find electricity to fill, and that can be through battery storage. But you can imagine that would need to be huge capability. 
Mm. Um, or we can convert the electricity when maybe when we've got too much into hydrogen and store it as hydrogen. But when we've got to find ways of storing it as hydrogen. Mm. Um, that, uh, and that's one of the areas where we see maybe hydrogen has a a bigger use um, because we've got the gas grid that's there already. And that already acts as a huge energy store for the UK, mm. simply because it's so big and there's so much in it. Um, so if that transitions to hydrogen, you can convert your electricity to hydrogen, put it into the grid. You've got users off the grid, but also then when you want to jet, when it's not windy, it's not sunny, you can pull some hydrogen back out of the grid to generate electricity with, which again, doesn't sound efficient. Yeah. But I, th but I think as you, uh, try to uh, balance things region by region and as a nation uh, and with the interconnectors that go across into Europe and Ireland, there are some um, odd things that go on to try and balance systems. Yeah, because every time I guess you change from one energy source to another, you lose some efficiency. efficiency gain, yeah, and that's a little bit, again, where, uh, you know, as Steelport Talbot, we used to triad periods, load management. Um, you know, you, you can see that ask growing almost in some instances between our different industries and other industries having to participate. And as we talk about trying to develop smart energy systems, so like in your house, you know, more of us have got um, smart meters. The uh, Once you've got a smart meter in your house, of course, you can uh, start to become smart in the way you use your electricity to avoid peak times, et cetera. And the same, yeah. of course, is for industry. So, the the ability for the uk consumers to operate in a smart way to help balance the grid i think will 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 change as well so your car when you get home from work and you plug it in and you you, you know you're plugging it in at peak demand probably at half past five six o'clock when everyone else is putting their kettles on and their electric yeah. ovens on you know it, it, a smart system would delay the charging of the electric vehicles until maybe midnight when everyone's gone to sleep and it's windy and then it yeah. charges it off peak interesting yeah some of this you know behavioral stuff is massive isn't it so and the energy piece for you must have increased massively over recent weeks with all the troubles in ukraine and brought it very much more to the fore and in that light chris as we kind of wrap up the conversation today where does swick go next the south wales industrial cluster and the, and the net zero industry wales what does the next year or so look like for you yeah the, the for me personally um the next uh, three, four months are about um, creating that entity. Uh, so Net Zero Industry Wales, we need to work with Companies House and create the entity as a formal entity. Uh, we need to recruit a board of directors and a chairperson. And we'll need to be a job advert out soon for the CEO of Net Zero Industry Wales. Um, we'll have a new website developed and we're going to make a promotional film for the region that will start at the Celtic Sea and, you know, Heliview itself um, from west to east, showing all the developments that are going on, the infrastructure, uh, and just try to use that as a regional promotional tool to attract uh, new industries. Um, but also then working on our SWIC projects that were funded at the moment, um, through the cluster plan, which has got a year left, which is an overview planning project, which is enabling us to put the, the tools in place for us to operate together and collaborate over the next 30 years. So it's penciling things together, like what do we need to do on skills? What do we need to do on STEM? What do we need to do in these different technologies? What do we need to do with the university? So look, you know, us learning off Rhiannon's project. Uh, the, the other rice projects pulling those into place and also the deployment project has got two years left that's doing detail engineering design studies for some of the infrastructure work so wells and west utilities for example the gas distributor are working with our different industries trying to understand how much gas they're going to need they're then understanding what size pipes and distribution system they're already converting uh, wales's gas system to be hydrogen ready uh, they're just trying to understand and make sure they get the right size pipes uh, for what <laughs> industry is likely to need. There's a lot of work going on in terms of setting up the, the formal collaboration mechanism. And behind that, there's a lot of detailed work going on in some of the engineering options for so our industries can start to decide which way they go. And then, yeah. of course, we're going to work on that big bid. So we'll be one of the four clusters in in. Uh, in the UK 
as per point eight of the ten point plan for UK Gov. Yeah. But I guess it's coming back to that chicken and the egg piece, isn't it? In that, you know, for each industry, for you in South Wales that declares its intention, uh, future technology choices, the picture becomes clearer for the rest. Yeah. yeah. It's another piece of the jigsaw puzzle, which means you can maybe say, well, we can discard that piece yeah. of work because we know that's not going forward. We can grow that piece of work because it's clearly going to be a priority. And that that must be quite frustrating how, how many industries have to make the decision but how slowly maybe that seems to be moving yeah and uh, and also um we know quite a bit of what we're working on isn't going to go anywhere as well yeah because it will get ruled out um yeah. but it's important that we do properly assess the options so that they can be ruled out because if we decide to do not to do something too quickly it it, it could be catastrophic for the overall plan for the region yeah. And the, very quickly before we go, because I do need to close, but there's this other term that's come across, which is this thing, the just transition. What does a just transition mean, Chris? Uh, it, it is uh, all around making sure that we do protect the region um, as we transition to to net zero manufacturing. In, in some ways, it's easy to think that we can just flick a switch. Um, and we'll change from one technology to another, but we all know that that isn't possible. And you might there might be an intermediate stage that enables you to position yourself in the final net zero stage. Mm. And the just transition is around making sure the policies and the infrastructure and the practices and the mechanisms are there to enable our industries to go through that stage transition to where they need to be um successfully and sustainably mm. and and i guess taking into account the needs of society and communities that rely on industries for their jobs and their sense of community yeah that's right that, and you know some of our industries have bigger transitions than others to go through uh, and by having this exciting regional view developed with the infrastructure that can attract new industries we we can move people around in terms of uh, what net zero means and how we operate um, as a UK, as a, as a, as a country, as Wales yeah. um, and, and as SWIC. Now, listen, Chris, it's been fascinating to hear about uh, all these wider challenges of decarbonisation, uh, not just for the steel industry, but for all the businesses and for society. And it's been great to hear how industry and government and academia through organisations such as yours kind of can come together and develop those solutions that, that work for all. Uh, so I'm really grateful for you for helping us to understand those challenges today. It's a, a hugely complex area and uh, thanks for describing them in, in simple terms so people hopefully can understand uh, not just the individual technologies, but the infrastructure, the logistics, the energy, environmental and legislative uh, challenges too. And I'm sure we'd welcome you back uh, sometime in the future to give an update on uh, how things are, are going along. Thanks, Tim. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Steelcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, please let us know what you think about the topics we're discussing or any other aspects of decarbonisation or sustainability that you'd be interested in hearing about. If you want to keep up to date with the latest happenings in Tata Steel UK and in this series, our journey towards decarbonisation, why not subscribe through Podbean, Spotify, Apple, Google or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. 